But here at the Neighborhood Church, we are following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. And I'm so grateful again. Shout out to Toby for leading some 20 of us as we met with and played with and sang with and danced with. And y'all, you better believe we danced. Ooh. Some of us have not stopped dancing and singing those songs as Taylor gives me a we gon' power up. Man, our theme at Rockin' Summer with the children of the neighborhood and our own kids was power up. And that is so fitting because this evening we are going to talk about the very power of God in a day known as Pentecost. Now, if you and I, and you and you and you, all were transported through a time machine into Jerusalem in the mid-30s A.D., and you asked the first Jewish man or woman you saw, what is Pentecost? They would tell you that Pentecost is a festival. It's a party. It's a festival celebrating the gift of God's law way back in the day after the Exodus. You've heard of the Exodus? The Exodus, you've probably seen the movie, or perhaps you've read the Bible book. The Exodus was when God moved and acted in human history to rescue a people from slavery and into freedom. 50 days after the Exodus Passover celebration, they looked back and celebrated in Pentecost when this newly liberated people met God himself on a mountain and they received God's law. You're free now. Here's how you live. So if we were walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem in the mid-30s AD and we said, yo, what's happening here? They would say, this is Pentecost. And because God was not only giving us a law, he was giving us a land, we've brought our gifts, our first fruits from the harvest, trusting that God would bring much, much more. Now, if we climb back into our time machine, which I like to believe looks like the, the phone booth from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> if we could all pile back in there and land back in Garland, Texas in 2019, and we found a Christian a Catholic brother or sister or a Pentecostal or a Methodist, we said, what is Pentecost? They would probably tell you, oh, Pentecost? That's when we received the gift of God's Spirit. Oh, Pentecost, that's a festival or a day in the church calendar where we celebrate the birthday of God's church. And we celebrate Remembering not the first fruits from our harvest, but the first fruits of the people that turned to Jesus and were filled by the Holy Spirit. Pentecost had its roots in the Jewish faith, but God was not done inviting more and more people. And Pentecost now has been transformed, not to just remember the gift of God's law, but the gift of God himself. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God, who was always, hear me, present. We believe as confessing Christians, like one billion of us, say that God is Father 
and Son and Holy Spirit. There was never a time when there was not Father, Son, and Spirit. But if you read the story of Jewish folk and the scriptures we have now known as the Old Testament, you will see the Spirit of God that is always present and moving and on the move. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit who is always present, hear me, becomes resident within God's people. 50 days after Passover, now in the Christian church, 50 days after the Easter weekend, we are here at Pentecost, and I would like for you to join me here in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read this amazing scene in Acts chapter 2. It's in the second half of your Bible there in the New Testament. It's also here on the screen. This amazing scene that we're going to spend a few moments unpacking and talking about a rhythm in which we see the followers of Jesus praying and experiencing a pouring out of God's Spirit and then proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the new work that is happening on Pentecost. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, then we're going to see this praying, this pouring, and proclaiming. You with me? You guys feeling good? Keith and the worship team got me fired up? Let's get into it. Acts chapter 2, join me in verse chapter 1. Whoop, chapter 2, verse 1. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This would be an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem some God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now this would be, pause, people that were Jewish ethnically and religiously, and also Jewish folk that may be looking into the faith. They may be Gentiles from other nations that say, we like this God, and we're leaning into these people. And they would have gathered here for this festival of Pentecost, and all of a sudden they hear this noise from this wild scene taking place in this upper room. So now we're back here in verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, these people asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, pause, shouldn't they be speaking Greek or Aramaic? And shouldn't they have that Galilean accent that's a dead giveaway that these dudes shouldn't be speaking my native language? And just so Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, makes sure we get the point, baked within this question, we see verse 9. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. Pause. He mean everybody. 
We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They're drunk. They have had too much wine. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. There is so much more to read. Spoiler alert, they weren't drunk. But isn't that what happens? When something incredible and amazing happens, there are some that want to lean in and say, what does this mean? What's happening right now? I think there's something going on here. But then isn't there others that say, nah, they're crazy, this is nuts, this can't be what it appears to be. We don't have time this evening to continue with the sermon that explains and answers the question, what does this mean? Nor can we get into all the ways in which the rest of the book of Acts is littered with people sneering and jeering and questioning, can God really be up to something new? But this evening, I want us to look at this rhythm of these disciples gathered in an upper room and the ways in which they are praying and the ways in which the Spirit of God is pouring out and the ways that it enables them to proclaim the wonders of God. So as we get going, I want to tell you a story that I think illustrates the way that some churches operate as if Pentecost never happened. Years ago, this was probably five or six years ago, in one of those North Texas ice apocalypses, you know what I'm talking about? The ice apocalypse. I'm talking about when it's the kind of freeze and the kind of sleet that kind of shuts down the whole city for like a day or two or three. Well, this one was one of the three-day shutdowns, okay? This was the kind where you're like, everybody's home from school, everybody's like off of work, and I get to force my wife to watch The Lord of the Rings until she falls asleep. This is what we were doing in our house in East Dallas, and something crazy happened. What happens a lot in older homes where the power is above ground is our power goes out. But this ice apocalypse, we noticed that after ours started to flicker, it stayed on, but then we looked across the street, and the entire length of the street just across was shut down and powerless. Now, I told you that this was the ice apocalypse, which means it was super duper cold, which means that when their power went out, so did their central heating. So we're sitting there with our lights on and our like coffee and hot cocoa, and we're like, man, what's Nick and Dorothy and Arturo gonna be doing? Whoops. And then we just kept thinking, eh, it'll come back on. Let's check Encore. But it didn't. It didn't for hours. And finally, we begin to worry about one neighbor in particular who is Miss Dorothy. Now, y'all got to know that Dorothy was 88 years old when we lived there. And this was five or six years ago. And she was tough and strong and independent. Dorothy lived on the corner and she had the kind of yard that made our yard look like just some trash dump. And she was always out there mowing and meticulously gardening and doing all of these kinds of things. And she loved her house like she loved her yard. And she was not going anywhere. 
So us and some other neighbors are looking at her house that is powerless, that is heatless, and we're like, Dorothy, you've got to come over. You've got to come in here. And she's like, no. And we finally realized she wasn't telling us. She didn't want to walk across the street because of how slick it was. So we said, fine. If you're not going to come over here, we've got to come to you. And so what we started doing was our neighbors over here, Sean and Mary, they gave her this down comforter, and she wrapped up in it. And then she found this battery-powered radio. But we're like, man, this is crazy. What are you doing? So dinner comes, and we bring her some hot soup. And then breakfast is there in the morning. The power's still out. And she's just balled up in this down comforter and listening. And we said, Dorothy, what are you doing? You've got to go. You've got to go. Y'all, days and days and days in a powerless, heatless house. And it made us wonder how long... Can she go on like this? Finally, 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 her son that lived somewhere far up north was able to fight his way down and get to her house and take her out to go be in another place with heat, with light. But y'all, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Dorothy texted me every single hour saying, is the power back on yet? (laughs) This woman was ready and waiting to come home. But when I think about Pentecost, and I think about the power experienced by these 11 disciples plus a new one that's replacing Judas, plus some of the family members of Jesus, and a group of about 120 waiting, waiting, waiting in this upper room, I think about the power They were waiting on, and I also think about how some churches are living as if they're in a house without power. I told you that I grew up in a church that was a, where Keith's church currently meets, and it was a charismatic Episcopal church. So my earliest years as a Christian were growing up in hearing people speak in tongues and dance and do the tambourine and this beautiful kind of expression of the power of Pentecost. But then we made the quantum leap to a very conservative church that spoke very little of the Holy Spirit. And it was a real disjointed experience for me, and I began to realize that the Holy Spirit was really believed to be God, but functionally, we had no idea that the Holy Spirit actually wanted to indwell us and empower us and could even be interactive. The kind of trinity that I was experiencing, and I'm not saying that this was true of the people that were leading these congregations, but the kind of trinity that I think I was imbibing was this. Not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but perhaps the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. As if to say, we have got all the dressings of a house that looks like a church. We've got God's word in his book, and it is good, and thank God for it. But we're living in this old kind of Pentecost where we thank God for his word, but we're still waiting for God's presence in the Holy Spirit to come and write it on our hearts. And I began to experience these kinds of encounters where I began to see that living in the power of the Holy Spirit is the expectation of our life with God, not just the exception in our life with God together. 
I think we should expect to be filled and to be sent and to be empowered to use our gifts for the community, to build this community up, and then to be sent out to love, like Toby talked about, with an otherworldly, supernatural kind of patient love that looks and feels like Jesus himself because this is the promise of Jesus himself, that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's as dramatic as what we just read. The tangible, thick sense of the presence of God that is manifested in the kinds of words and actions that we can look and say, what does this mean? God is up to something. Sometimes it looks that dramatic. But I'm going to tell you most times we should expect it to be at least dynamic. And if it's not that dramatic, we should expect an interactive kind of life with the Holy Spirit because of what happened on Pentecost is still echoing down 2,000 years later through the ages because the same Holy Spirit that alighted on them like tongues of fire is still living within you. The Holy Spirit who is always present, now resident, this is the birthright of every single child of God. I think this is the birthright for every single child of God. So, I think to illustrate this, I want to bring back an illustration I used several years ago that I think is appropriate for this evening. Hopefully, not all of you remember it. And if you do remember it, pretend like you don't because I'm going to use it tonight. And what we see is a praying church. We see a praying church that is waiting together in an upper room after Jesus has risen, after Jesus has ascended, And after Jesus, sharing a meal with these disciples, reminds them of a promise that God has for them. If you have a Bible open, you can flip back to Acts chapter 1. He reiterates this promise that Luke also records at the end of his gospel. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, he says, Don't leave Jerusalem, which is what they do. They just stay put in Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised. This gift you have heard me speak about. For John, that's John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This gift promised by the Father is represented by this big old picture I have with water. You see, From Pentecost at Mount Sinai, when God gave his people a law, way back then he said, this law is written on stone, but there began to be prophets coming along and saying, I'm telling you there's a day when he's not just going to write these words on stone, he's going to write these words on your heart. I'm telling you there's coming a day when we won't just have God with us as Emmanuel and Jesus, we're going to have God within us. In Joel chapter 2, which Peter quotes that After this incredible scene, he says, all of these people will receive the Spirit of God poured out. So this picture is the promise of God himself, his blessing, all of these things. And he is waiting and waiting to fill us with all of the goodness and all of the life and all of the love and all of the power that is his that he wants to share with us. 
And what's fascinating and when we see this rhythm of prayer is that it's hard to be filled if you're not sitting still. What happens if you go to Chili's after our worship gathering this evening and somebody says, would you like some more water? And you say, yes, thank you. And you kind of just do da 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 It's hard to be filled without sitting still, which is fascinating that Jesus doesn't just, you ready? He says, no, you've got to wait. You've got to prepare yourself. You've got to be together. And what we see in Acts chapter 1 is that they were not only together, they were constantly in prayer, waiting, sitting, because here's what you've got to understand, friends. About 120 people did not know when they would be filled, They did not know how they would be filled. They just knew that God will fill them. Some of you right now do not know when this thing is going to happen. And you know what thing I'm talking about. You don't know when you'll experience this relief, this healing, this rescue, this deliverance, this breakthrough, this forgiveness, this release of shame and brokenness and bitterness. You don't know when... And you don't know how, but I'm here to remind you, God will. But the trick for us is to be like this cup, to sit still long enough so that he can fill you with every good and perfect thing he has for you. But here's what you've got to understand, and I wish it were any other way, but it frankly just isn't. There are some instances, Saul Headed to Damascus, boom, not looking for it, on the road, encounters Jesus. Sometimes the Spirit of God is just going to get your attention. Most times he's asking for you to quiet down the noise of your life, to be still, because what he has for you can only be received if you're sitting with open hands and ready to receive it. Jesus said, wait, wait together, and they're waiting in prayer, and they're discerning, and they're looking, and they don't know when, they don't know how, they just know that he will, and so they sit and wait to be filled. One of the ways we try to live this and put a name to this in our church is our fourth core practice, to create space. We say we commit to make time for God and others for transformational relationships to grow. Y'all, we can't find time to be still. You cannot find it. You have to make it. You have to create it. And let me tell you, the hardest thing for me to do every single day is to make time to be still and sit, which is why I remind you so often to make time to be still and sit because I'm reminding myself And I'm praying Psalm 23 for the shepherd who makes me lie down in green pastures, who leads me beside still waters because I want to run and I want to jump into the river and there's a time for that, but not before we are still and allowing God to act on us and being still long enough that we ourselves can be acted upon. Are you with me? What does this look like? If you went to our prayer school, we gave you a liturgy from a man named Brian Zahn, who is an author and a pastor and a preacher. We can talk more about Brian Zahn after this time. But in this space, with him in prayer school, he gives us a track of scripture and different things to pray, but right there, baked into the middle of it. Do you remember what's in the middle of it, those of you who were there? 
sitting with Jesus. It is the birthright of every child of God to not only be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the presence of God, to where when we are still, we can sit in his presence if we would tune in and turn down just the noise of our lives and say, would you fill me? Would you change me? Would you grow me in those small, still, incremental ways? Would you give me wisdom and direction? Would you illuminate the word of God, the scriptures for me in this space? Would you give me what I need? Because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you feel completely tapped out. And what happens if we don't sit and are filled is we begin to run on empty. And it's not that the Holy Spirit ever leaves us, hear me. It's just that we have operated in such a way where we don't need him and he's obliged to let us go our own way long enough until we recognize the need to be filled and renewed again. But when we talk about being still is to do what we can and that is to put ourselves into position just like these disciples so that we can let God do what we can't. Friends, all of the people groups listed, out of 120 people, I would bet you there was not one person in their midst that could speak one sentence of a discernible language to them. But they waited and prayed to receive the pouring out of God's spirit. And the first gift and sign of that pouring out was to speak languages of supernatural utterance And what were they saying? If not the wonders of God. And how powerful must it have been for these men and women far from home visiting at the Pentecost festival who had not heard their native language, perhaps the entire time they were in Jerusalem, begin to hear a voice from home calling them to a deeper awareness of God with us and even an invitation to receive God within us. I remember when I traveled to the Ukraine 15 years ago, I was in some rural villages, and it was a long trip. I didn't have access to phone or internet, and so I was a long way from hearing familiar voices of people that I knew. And I remember I was in this one random village and all of a sudden in the midst of all of this noise, I hear this guy that was from Georgia. And I'm talking about the Atlanta, Georgia kind. And you talk about a double take when I've heard all of this and I've smelled beets and I've drank bread juice and everything is very unusual and different to hear somebody say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was just sitting there thinking about this and I was, and I'm like, hello, what? How incredible that in the beginning of this book, in Genesis chapter 11, there was this confusion where we see this story where there was once this one language, but then a scattering in many languages. God is doing some new thing where he's actually bringing all the nations back together. The language hasn't been undone, but they're hearing the native tongue calling them back into relationship with God. 
This age-old promise, I'm telling you, it's happening right now. And I want to try to dissect the falling and the filling and the pouring out and the tongues of fire that alighted on it. But that, I think, would be like telling you about a hurricane and how strong and powerful it is. And it's got to be different when you just step outside and you just got to experience it. And what I'm begging for is that you have an encounter with the very breath of God Not just secondhand from the things that we sing and say and do, but would you sit and say, Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on me? Because when we say yes to Jesus, he pours himself through the Holy Spirit into our very lives. But y'all, the expectation is you would continue to be poured into. Keith and I were talking about this passage just briefly And he reminded me of this incredible scene in Acts chapter 4, where sometime later, they gather in a room like this again, and y'all know what happens? Again, they're filled with the Spirit. And it's a pouring out that leads them to reaching out. And it unites them in this mission and empowers them to carry it out. They did what they can to sit still, to call out, to ask for God to empower them, in different ways to go out and reach out, which is the final rhythm. It wasn't just for them to build them up. It was to send them out. And what they did was go out and proclaim the works of God. Did you see that? And how they did it, as I just mentioned, was a proclaiming of actual languages. I want to tell you that I believe that there are tongues experienced in the power of the Holy Spirit that is like a prayer language that some believers experience and it is to build them up and if there's someone else to interpret it, it can build the community up. But this is something that is a shade different of what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2. I don't have time to talk about the kinds of tongues that we see evidenced later on in Corinthian churches and other churches and even elsewhere in the book of Acts. But if you want some more resources, I brought something with me that would be a good guide for you, and I would encourage you to lean into that. But understand this, that when the Spirit of God comes and fills us, we should expect that out of the overflow, it should lead to a work to build up and encourage others. So we have this age-old promise of God poured out into us, but it's not just for us. It pours out and to influence the world around us. Because I'm telling you, we cannot love our enemies without a supernatural work of God. I'm telling you, you cannot pray and expect God to move and heal without a supernatural work of God. I'm telling you that we cannot be a church unless we're leaning in to the power of the Holy Spirit that unites us and sends us. I'm telling you that we cannot expect to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus unless Jesus has gone out before us, sending his spirit to begin to call people and turn them to himself. We just go and join the work he's already started. So when Peter quotes Joel, and says, this is what's happening. The Spirit of God is being poured out. He says, it's available to you if you would turn to him. Later on in Acts 
chapter 2, verses 36 to 39, after he's used scripture to say, this is the age-old gift, he said, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, God's King. So when these people heard this, they were cut, pierced to the heart because they said, oh, we killed him. So they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter continues and says, repent. That is a change of mind that leads to a change in action to turn to Jesus and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He has called them and he's sharing us with them to go out and complete the task he has for us. He has poured himself out to send us out. And this is for all people, as I've said before, the Holy Spirit is the birthright of every child of God both in his indwelling presence as a comforter and a helper and an advocate and in his enabling power to go and be like Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to invite those God is calling into life with him. I want to close with a brief story that I think illustrates the way in which God pours out into us so that we could reach out to others in ways that sometimes we don't even initiate. And what happened this week at Rock and Summer was this small, quiet, and beautiful conversation that happened in a space that didn't happen on the stage. It didn't happen with the songs. It didn't happen within the context of our prayer. It happened in the in-between places. And it happened because I believe God is calling others before we ever come and join the party. And Taylor Solis who is new to our community, who's been coming around, who's been serving, who's been diving in, who's been visiting neighborhood groups. I'm putting her on the spot. I'm sorry, but I did ask her permission to share this. Taylor Solis was walking with some children in our very neighborhood. And she was walking with this child away from the water fountain to go back upstairs to the upper room of the rock and this young boy sees the mural that's painted in the info desk at this community center right here in West Garland. And those of you who've been there may remember the silhouette of Jesus with his arms outstretched and a sky blazing with light and fire and in his body is the text of the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17, right behind me on this banner. It's where the rock gets its name. And she pauses and sees this kid looking at this mural with the words written, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And he pauses and he's looking at this and he sees the silhouette and he looks at Taylor and he says, who is that? And she said, well, that's Jesus. That's God's son. And he says, who is God? And in the quiet and still moments, 
before they run back upstairs and before we keep having a great time, she's telling him that he is here to rescue us, that God loves him. We are here speaking the wonders of God. And it happens that God is seeking and speaking before we even join the party. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord might be born into a new life, might become a part of the new creation, that the same spirit hovering over the waters when the earth was formed is forming and reforming still today and creating and recreating still today. Would we be filled anew? Would we be sent out, enabled? Would we be praying, experiencing the pouring out of him that we could be sent out to proclaim the good news that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth and he's inviting all people into life with him, whether or not they're in fifth grade at the rock or they're 50 years old and they're here for the first time. And it's our job to do what we can, to wait with open hands so that God could do what we can't. Because he's brought the nations to Garland and he's brought his very self into our midst that we might reach out in his name.